0: Welcome to the
1: Gain, Grow, Retain podcast.
0: I want to start this off with a bang. I just want to be absolutely blunt and really, really 100% clear on one thing. That is that the single most important thing in your career is fill in the blank. Type type in the chat if you just, just some ideas on what you think this might be, right? And there's, you know, hints that this is all centered around a book on leadership. So maybe you already kind of got a glimpse of what this is, right? okay leadership skills that is the single most important thing in your career and i'm going to tell you why i believe this but before i do that i got to tell you that i didn't know this i really honestly did not realize this for a very long period of time and from the time at which i graduated from undergrad and was all excited to go into my first job and get out into the real world and start working the professional ranks for the next seven years i bounced around from job to job I literally had no clue what I was doing, where I was going, what I wanted to do, anything. I asked a lot of questions. I asked for a lot of advice from people. What should I do? Where should I go? I literally asked everybody I knew. Nobody ever had an answer because I was asking the question. And I literally, literally did every job from being a software engineer to a Xerox sales rep. And guess what? I sucked at all those jobs. They were terrible. I was a Xerox sales rep for five months. (laughs) I'm completely serious. I literally joined the company, went through some training, attempted to go door-to-door selling copiers, and then fell flat on my face and failed miserably and left after five months in a complete state of disarray thinking that the professional world just didn't fit for me anymore. After that point, I actually left the professional world for a period of three to four months-ish, and I went to work as an apprentice for an artisan who made high-end custom furniture. I literally spent time in a woodworking shop and built a $10,000 teak patio table. Like that was, that was the direction I was headed. I had no clue what I did. I was following passion. I was following interests, but I had no clue. So everything that I'm going to tell you today is a result of understanding that this stuff takes time and that there's a couple key decisions that will change everything, which we're going to get into. So after bouncing around from job to job, Everything from software engineer, to sales rep, to marketing, to uh, solutions, consulting, to sales engineering, you name it, I did it, except for accounting and finance. That was the one place I knew that I was never going to belong, right? Then I went back to school. I went and got an MBA in management and organizational behavior. And I finally found something that I had never felt before in the previous seven years, which was passion. I actually had passion for the field of management. I didn't even know it existed. Most of the people that I'd worked with inside of the companies I worked for didn't know it existed either. And it was incredibly frustrating, but when I learned everything about the field of management and got that MBA, the world changed. And it was in that moment, I don't have time to tell you the full story, but it is outlined in the book, It is in that moment that I decided that I was in control, that I would always be the one responsible for investing myself. And this is when I turned pro. This is a little precursor to some of the stuff we're going to talk about, difference between professional and amateur from a leadership perspective. But I want to tell you that there was a pivotal moment. It was a Saturday morning in 2007 when I was sitting in an auditorium inside of a presentation that I decided to take control and become the CEO of my career and be in charge. And the results after that single point in time, I went on a terror. One, I loved the grad school experience as a result of that because, again, I was in control. And I went from a CSM to a VP of customer success in 30 months, two and a half years. That's it. I continuously built high-performing teams all along the way. Some of them were the highest performing teams in the company that I worked for. I started the first ever customer success consulting firm in January of 2015 and have been partnering for five and a half years with some of the best in SaaS to help them build world-class customer success organizations. And what's at the core of all that work even in the consulting space is the growth and development of leadership skills i became a leadership coach in 2012 and i spent over 500 hours of one-on-one coaching time with leaders ever since then so eight plus years later and then i wrote the best-selling book 30-day leadership playbook which you have an opportunity to get at 30dayleadership.com forward slash playbook right this is the culmination of all of the experiences that I've had. And I'm gonna take you through some key decision points and key things to consider now as you look at your leadership skills, where they are today and where you ultimately want them to go. As a special treat for Gang Grow, Retain community members, this session is exclusively for you. And I will also personally sign every single one of the books that you order as a result as well. So all of this success, everything I just went through came down to fundamentally one thing, turning pro and focusing on the growth and development of my leadership skills. Because every time I improved in that area, my promotion came around the corner, right? My team performed higher. I had a greater level of satisfaction in my work than I ever had before. And I had passion to be able to deliver everything that I had to at an entirely new level. And it came from the focus on that. It wasn't about the tactical little stuff, how to do this, how to do that. It was around leadership. So, before we dig in any deeper and get into what we're gonna cover, I have a few questions for you and I stopped sharing my screen so that I could change the view on the Zoom box and see as many possible faces as I could. So, what I would like to do um, is ask you a couple questions and if any of these resonate, if the question resonates for you, if you would answer yes, wave your hands, like give me a full on like yes wave because we're all sitting there at Zoom, you know, you only see from the chest up and whatnot. So I need a little bit of movement, we gotta get, gotta get it going, okay? so. And I'm going to raise my hands just with you for the ones that resonate for me. Okay. If you have ever struggled with any aspect of leadership, I want you to give me a big wave of hands. Come on, any any aspect at all, right? I'm included here. You've heard some of my stories, right? If you've ever felt like you had to figure everything out for yourself, I want you to wave your hands because nobody ever taught you, right? We get promoted into leadership positions and people say, congrats. <laughs> and you say, what do I do now? And they say, I don't know, figure it out, right? Whether that was last week or last year or 10 years ago or 15 years ago, leadership development is one of the greatest and most overlooked areas in every single one of the companies for sure that everybody on this call works in, in the vast majority of the professional world as well. If you've ever felt like nobody actually understands what you do, give me a hand wave. Come on, come on, I know there's some others. Nobody knows what you do, all right? If you've ever felt like an imposter who could be outed at any time as a fraud, right? I'm doing a big wave hand here, give me the hand waves, right? You heard my story a few weeks ago in our failure GGR session, right? It's totally normal, we've been there, I've been there. (laughs) If you've ever felt like you're at fault for everything that goes wrong with your team, give me a hand wave, right? Everything that goes wrong, it's all on you because you're the leader, the buck stops with you, right? If you've ever felt like you wanna get to the next level in your career, but you just don't know how, give me a hand wave, right? At any point in time, big confusion there. All right, awesome. Thank you so much for indulging me in that and answering those few questions, giving me a little bit of the energy. I appreciate that very much. So if any of that, judging by the hand waving that I saw, um, rings true or hits home for you, I'm here to tell you that you're in the right place. Because here's what we're gonna cover today. We're gonna talk about the difference between an amateur and a professional. And as you you saw in the um, intro and lead into this in our emails and and social communication, this has absolutely nothing to do with the amount of time that you spend in a leadership seat. So whether you've been doing this for a week, a month, a year, a decade, two decades does not matter. Time is irrelevant when it comes to the difference between amateur and professional. We're also gonna talk about the five biggest leadership killers that I see people making over and over again. These are the mistakes. I'm not only gonna tell you what the mistakes are, I'm also gonna tell you about what to do about them. And then lastly, we're gonna have some time for Q&A and leadership hot seats. So this is an opportunity to work directly with me in the comfort of all of our peers here and work through the biggest challenges that you face from a leadership perspective. So as you're going through this, jot down the topics that are top of mind for you and the questions that you have, and then we'll use the raise hand feature just like we normally do in our GGR calls, okay? So before we get into any more detail in the mistakes content, I want to tell put a big disclaimer out there. This presentation is not intended to pass judgment on you in any way, shape, or form. This is purely intended to show you a different perspective on how you look at leadership. So I'm going to be talking about the difference between amateur and professional. This does not mean that if you fall into the amateur category, you're a bad person or you're a bad leader. That is absolutely 100% not my intent. My intent is to give you a different lens to look at some of these critical areas that if you make a change, you can have an absolute different perspective and see. Because here's the thing, the perspective you have today is the result of all of your experience in your life, professional, personal, everything, at this, up to this point in time. So if there's a concept here that you maybe heard about or learned you know, a week ago, a year ago, five years ago, And you say, oh, well, I've heard about that before. Yeah, yeah, I understand that piece. Well, know that the context that you have today is completely different than when you heard it before. So be open, okay? Just be open to absorbing this and looking at these things from a different perspective. And again, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to help give you a different lens to look at your leadership so that ultimately you can focus on your growth and development and I can enable and support you. Mistake number one on the five biggest mistakes that I see being made over and over. Not having the right psychology. Now, in our gain, go retain community calls. You guys know that I like to drop some psychology pieces here and there because it is so important. And this is never more important than when it comes to leadership skills. Um, and I want to share a quote from a book that one of my favorite books of all time. It's called *The War of Art*. It's by an author named Stephen Pressfield. If you've ever read the book, this will ring true for you. And a lot of the amateur versus professional comes from the great distinction that he provides in the book. It's so powerful. You cannot help but be moved by reading through these things. So I highly recommend reading that, period. Um, But the quote I want to share here, and I'm going to read this because there's a lot of text on screen, is is around Tiger Woods. And he says, Tiger Woods is the consummate professional. It would never occur to him, as it would to an amateur, that he knows everything or can figure everything out on his own. On the contrary, he seeks out the most knowledgeable teacher and listens with both ears. The student of the game knows that the levels of revelation that can unfold in golf, as in any art, are inexhaustible. Okay, this is some incredibly powerful stuff in one tiny little paragraph. And what I wanna draw your attention to here is that as a professional, it would never occur to Tiger that as it would to an amateur, that he knows everything or that he can figure everything out for himself. Right? This is probably one of the single biggest um, hurdles that people face is that, oh, I can figure all this out by myself or, oh, some, my client, my company isn't going to send me to training. I can just do it on my own. Just a DIY straight through, right? This is somebody who is the top of the top of their, in their profession in the world, regardless of where he is now, he has been, and he is still on seeking out the most knowledgeable teacher, right? The fundamentals of golf are pretty straightforward. There you're either hitting a ball a long ways, a short ways, a medium ways, or you're putting. Like there's only a handful of things. There's only nine, 10, 11 clubs. There's not a lot of variety, right? So why does the guy who's the best in the world continuously focus on the growth and development of his skill set by hiring somebody else to help coach him and get him? Because he knows that the levels of revelation that can unfold are inexhaustible. Same thing applies to leadership. Leadership is an art, right? So the levels of revelation that you can have about any topic in leadership, 100% are inexhaustible. So if anybody, you know, if you catch yourself thinking, oh, these are all great topics for first-time managers or, or early leaders in their career, it's baloney. It's an amateur's way of viewing the world because then that automatically closes off your mind to exploring how to go deeper in these fundamental core areas that are so important. So amateur leaders, they believe they can figure everything out for themselves, period. And, or they think they have to as a result of nobody doing it for them. Okay, so again, psychology plays a big part, If you find yourself in this, it is not the end of the world. It's okay. The goal, again, is to highlight this and bring it to your awareness so that we can make a different decision. Because professional leaders seek out the most knowledgeable teacher in whatever facet we're talking about, right? So this applies to leadership 100%, but it also applies to every other area of your personal and professional life, right? And they invest in themselves. They decide to become their CEO. They decide to become the one in charge. They're responsible for the investment regardless of who else is going to pay for it because they know they are their single greatest asset. And that is a fundamental different, fundamentally different psychological perspective to operate from that when that switch is made, just like I did back in 2007 when I made the choice to turn pro, everything went on a completely different trajectory in my life and my professional world and personal world as well. So here's what to do if you found yourself in this case. Simple, turn pro, make the decision. Make the decision to invest in yourself, make the decision to seek out the expert advice, make the decision to, uh, to believe that there are inexhaustible layers of revelation that are available in the leadership realm. Even the simplest leadership principle can be focused on and developed over time. And number two is to bulletproof your leadership psychology. This is all about how you approach your craft, how you approach your work with your team, how you believe in yourself. So that's what to do on mistake number one. Mistake number two is ignoring the single most important contract. What I mean here is that amateur leaders, and I'm going to, again, tell the difference of this from the two perspectives, make assumptions about team behavior. They might say things like, I have high expectations for my team. But I tell you what, if I as a neutral third party outside expert came in and asked that team, exclusive of the leader, what are the expectations that are placed on you, chances are they would not be able to tell me, right? They live with frustration from poor behavior. I assumed so-and-so would do this. I assumed you would rise to the challenge. I assumed they would be able, capable of building this, whatever it is that we wanted right? And then as a result of having that poor behavior and a lack of clarity on exactly what the expectation is, they struggle to drive accountability. So, they suffer from this cycle that goes over and over and over again. Now, professional leaders, on the other hand, in this area, eliminate assumptions. They eliminate ambiguity. They make the unspoken spoken. Some of you may have seen a post from the one and only Jay Nathan here earlier this week in, uh, the gang- in, uh, on LinkedIn that talked about an exercise that he did with his team around creating a social contract. This is one of the core tenets and one of the principles in the book I talk about. And what a social contract is, is there's an unspoken agreement between an employee and employer, a team leader and it's his or her employees. And guess what? Everybody has expectations of each other and most of the time they're never spoken. So what happens is leader does something that violates what the expectation of the individual or the individual does something that violates the expectation of the leader. And you get conflict, you get frustration, you get people leaving jobs for simply just a lack of clarity on exactly what the expectation is. So the social contract is one of the single most important pieces from a leadership perspective to have in place, because once there is clarity on exactly the expectations of both parties, the leader, as well as the team, then accountability can be driven across the board and performance will immediately increase. Mistake number three, nobody knows what you do, (laughs) right? This is a big one, and this is honestly one of the most challenging ones, period, because we all know what we do. We know what the world of customer success looks like. We know how hard we work to make every renewal happen, to make every kickoff amazing, to make every engagement with our customer um, amazing. And then we get these questions from other team members or other leaders saying, "What, what is it that you guys do here? And it just, it makes your heart sink. Right. So amateur leaders talk to other leaders just like they talk to their team. In other words, they are using the same level of context that their team has about how the whole customer success function works. And they're using that same level of context to tell that to other people who have no idea how to con- conceptualize and understand exactly what you're saying. They also suffer from the, what I call the here's what I did syndrome. This is most prevalent in conference presentations. You ever attend a conference presentation, somebody gets up on stage and for 45 minutes, all they say is, here's what I did, step one, two, three, here's all the emails, here's all the templates and you can do this too. It is, that is an amateur leader front and center, no other more clear distinction because it's all about them. They didn't care about their audience. They had no interest in actually teaching the principles of what worked for them to somebody else so that they could apply it. They just simply wanted to regurgitate, here's what I did. And this happens internally too. Here's what I did. Here's the 50 things that I went through. They struggled to build trust with other leaders as a result of not being able to communicate at an appropriate level, and especially with the context that other people can absorb, understand based off of their background. So professional leaders, on the other hand, communicate at the appropriate level of context. They have a framework to articulate their work to anyone. And they ensure that others know what they do at the appropriate level of context. There's no more important thing from a leadership perspective than this one when it comes to building trusting relationships with other leaders inside your organization. And also as a bonus, when you do present at conferences, that your message can actually be received and hit and it can hit home and it can actually have an impact on somebody. So in this case, What you need to do to overcome this mistake is to build a framework. A framework is something that can apply just as equally to one situation as another, as in just as easily to one company who's at a, you know, maybe making $5 million a year as another company who's doing $20 million a year. There are principles that are the same. Now, as a consultant, I have the great benefit of having a lot of experience with this because frankly, that's the world that I operate in. And I share some very specific tactical strategies for how to build a framework in the book. Mistake number four, metrics are lagging indicators. So on the amateur leader perspective, when we look at the metrics perspective, what we're seeing is there's a heavy focus on the high level metrics, churn, NPS, retention, et cetera, all those standard ones. Now those are critically important, but they are not measuring behavior in a way that drives change. So if you've ever caught yourself saying, well, I tell my team that our renewal rate is not where it needs to be and I trust them to figure it out. Right. That's going to land you square in this amateur leader category. Right. Because I don't want to micromanage them. It might feel like that's an appropriate thing to do. However, they might be just as lost. Might have no clue how to make the connection between their activities and the end result, which is increased renewal rate. Right. There is a gigantic gap between those two. And if we as leaders stay focused on the highest level metrics that are frankly lagging indicators and use that to try to drive behavior, we're going to fail. Period. Plain and simple. I've done this. I failed. I know that it doesn't work. Professional leaders, on the other hand, identify leading indicators for behavior and then they work with their teams, the individuals, as well as the managers that report to them. And they create metrics that drive behavior, because if you have metrics that drive behavior, then you can drive accountability for behavior. So if we take the renewal one, for example, right? High level, highest level is there's a renewal rate. It's a problem. What do we do? We yell at the team, say renewal rate sucks, go out and figure it out and make it better. Right? Teams like, what are you talking about? Okay. From a professional leader perspective, maybe there's an opportunity to work with the team to understand the most important elements that have to be completed in order to ensure a renewal. Maybe there's an account plan that needs to be documented, defined and executed against. Maybe there's a set of goals that need to be updated on a continuous biweekly, monthly basis that are agreed to with the customer. Those are all behaviors that are leading indicators of the lagging metric of renewal. And if you manage and lead to those behaviors uh, metrics, you'll have a much greater chance of the outcome of a higher renewal rate as a result of all the little things happening. Right. As customer success leaders, we know that a churn or a renewal does not happen as a result of one instant. And then from a leadership perspective, oftentimes we are focused on one thing. It's the result of many, many, many things over time, an entire year, sometimes two years. Right. So the same thing has to be done from a metrics perspective and how we drive the performance of our teams. It's all about the leading indicators on the behavior side, not necessarily just focusing on the lagging indicator. So What to do here is to identify behavior-based leading indicators. The things that are gonna contribute to that giant end result, but maybe not 100% clear or apparent at this point today. And mistake number five, not mastering time. Those of you who have been following me for a long time know that this was one of the earliest areas that I focused on. I'm talking way back in like 2014 um, and developed material training courses, all kinds of things because this was in the customer success space, this at the time and still is prevalent, one of the biggest challenges that everybody faces. We've got a million different bosses internally, externally. It doesn't matter. It is absolutely amazing what can happen in eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours and how fast it can disappear. So on the amateur leader side, they think that they can't change what's on their calendar. Right? Notice there's gonna be a lot of psychology in this because it's really important. There is a belief that back-to-back meetings mean they are important. I'm here to tell you that they don't. And they're always busy but not necessarily productive. You can always run around and say, and I'm so slammed, my plate is overflowing, I'm so full, et cetera. But if you ask, what did you really get done? It's a little hard to describe. Professional leaders, on the other hand, when it comes to this mistake, take control, right? They make the decision to take control. They use tools to help control their focus. And they decide where to spend their time instead of having it decided for them. So you see how big a difference there is between the amateur and the professional leader when it comes to mastering your time and how the fundamental difference is based around making decisions. So what to do in this case, simplest, simplest first step you could possibly do is decide who's in control. There are only two answers to that question. It's either I'm in control or everything else is in control. That's it. There, is no other, there are no other options. There are no other gray area. It's either me, I'm gonna be in control and I'm gonna choose where to focus my time because frankly, I'm the absolute 100% best person to decide how to spend my time to contribute at the greatest level to myself, my customers and my company. Or it's, I'm gonna let everybody else's expectations of me drive my time so that I'm always reactive and in those back-to-back meetings and trying to catch up at 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 a.m. when I've seen a handful of emails from people over time right? And I've done it myself. None of this is is, uh, pontificating about theory. Like I've actually done this. And the only reason why I can say, uh, decide who's in control and it actually works is because I've done it. I've accomplished that. I've mastered my time. And now I run dozens of clients, projects, all kinds of things, marketing activities, doing sessions like this. It comes from that one place. So everything we covered here today on all the five biggest leadership mistakes, the killers that i call called them, I cover more about in the book. 30-day leadership playbook. And the way I do this is a little bit different than the, you won't see the amateur and professional in there. That's a little bit of a flavor on top to help make the point of why it's so important. But the way I cover this in the book is that there are four key pillars to leadership. Number one is leading yourself. This is all about where I cover how to bulletproof your leadership psychology, discovering the five new rules of leadership and a whole chapter based on mastering your time. Then we go into leading others. This is all about managing people. This is the kind of the heart of it when you think of it from a team perspective, right? Managing people, emotional intelligence, actively listening between the lines and asking the right questions. I have three chapters dedicated to how to use coaching skills to build incredible relationships with your team. Having difficult conversations, scaling a team to create future leaders. What's your succession plan? How are you going to do that, right? Inspiring, motivating and influencing team because leadership frankly is a giant exercise in influence and motivation. Then we get into leadership, leading with communication. This is where the frameworks come into play. The power of frameworks, understanding how to ensure that the incredible work that I know that every single one of you does is able to be um, shared, communicated and received in the way that you want it to be. And then finally, leading with metrics. Right, The performance based behavior, the things that we want want to stay away from just focusing on the highest level things, they're important. But when it comes to behavior and driving results, they are not where you focus. They are just the lagging indicator. We focus on the activities. And if we can break down the activities into manageable pieces and then hold our teams accountable, we have a far greater chance of creating more structure and being more metrics driven. So you see that this book in and of itself is an example of a framework. These four pillars apply equally to Emily, to Jay, to Jessica, to Jeff, to Aureli, to everybody on this call, right? And so reading the book and going through it will also give you a great experience of what it's like to go through a framework and what it can mean for your leadership. Because frankly, most times, the only only point at which someone takes a step back and tries to think about how to communicate from a leadership perspective, how to communicate their work and what they do, is when they're in between jobs. They left a the job. They're going to go interview as a VP of CS or a CCO at another company. And I've gotten numerous calls that say, hey, Nils, can I bounce some ideas off you? I'm, I got a meeting with the CEO. Or I got a meeting with the CCO. And I want to make sure that like my presentation is there. The number one fee- piece of feedback that I give over and over and over again is you need a framework to be able to communicate what it is that you do without having to explain every single thing you've ever done that is the ticket in order to be able to understand what is the level of context that the other audience is at and then be able to deliver what you want in your message at the appropriate level of context so you have the greatest possibility of them understanding you because if you go around and say i do these 50 things it means nothing absolutely nothing and it will put you in more trouble so the book itself is a um, is a framework and you will get a great experience of what it's like to go through that so The the URL to grab a copy is 30dayleadership.com forward slash playbook. The book is $10. That's it. So $10 to get an incredible experience um, and build your leadership skills. I will ship it to you for free in the U.S. I will sign it as well. Um, And now we get to go into the Q&A and leadership hot seats. So I told you guys I would leave plenty of time. We've got about 25 minutes uh, for these hot seats. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen so I can see all your beautiful faces. And then we are going to open up the chat as well. And as you have, um, where is my... Jeff, can you help me out a little? Oh, there we go, Zoom came back. Cool, all right, so now I see the participants list. So if you would like to have a question or discuss a situation with you, um, please drop, uh, raise the hand and then click on the participants label over in the list of people and raise click the raise hand icon. I will call on you, you can come off of mute and we'll do this just like we do in our normal um, GGR sessions. Cool, all right. So, and if there aren't any, I'm going to jump in and ask some questions because you guys know that's how I roll as well. Um, all right. So, Emily, you've been smiling a lot and I, and I saw you on there and I, I, Sherry, I was going to call on you, but I, I gave you a break, gave you a break. So, Emily, what, what's the biggest thing that you took away from this um, perspective? You've had a copy of the book for a little bit. I know um, you've been through it. So what was the biggest thing that you took away from this overview presentation? It's a little bit different flavor.
2: Well, I have to tell you, Niels, I get picked on all of the time because of this smile. Like, I have been pulled on stage at Blue Man Group. If there is a street performance happening and they need this middle-aged uh, suburban lady, they will pull me in and put. it happens all the time. So, I... Uh,
0: <laughs> it's it's got to be a smile. You, it just lights up. So, I take it as a compliment.
2: <laughs> I think I look like I just... I'm not going to get mad at you no matter what happens. So, just bring me on stage. So... Um, so one thing that really, really resonated with me, and it's so funny that you brought this up, is the, the this is what I did. Um, mm-hmm. We had a company meeting yesterday, and all the functional areas talk about August, and it, it's fantastic, but there is definitely that tendency to say, here, you know, I have 10 minutes, but here's 30 minutes of like, this is all the stuff we did, blah, 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 And And yep. it can be hard for some people to pay attention to that because it doesn't resonate with with them, and they don't ultimately see, like, how it fits into the big picture. Um, I I tailor my content to the appropriate time and, and try to filter out, like, what people are going to care about the most, but I think I could take an extra step to, to put it into context even better for them, because there, it, there definitely is a little bit of, like, salt and pepper of, of this is how we did, yeah. and this is how much on top of it we are, and um, so I think, like, that is um, a little bit of a self- Centered focus, and I could probably reframe that. And um, for next month's meeting, like right when you were talking, I was like, Oh, I need to change how I approach that session. So, so love it, you.
0: love it. Yeah, you're welcome. I, that is a fantastic insight, and really glad that it happened yesterday. Um, and you have an opportunity to change how it happens next month, right? That again, yes. inexhaustible. Right? The levels of revelation are inexhaustible. If you could have heard me talk about frameworks years ago. Doesn't matter because today it means something different than it did to you before because of that experience yesterday. That's a great example. And if you ever catch yourself in these presentations focusing on the I, here's what I did, I did, I did, my team did, team did, team did, that is a sign that you're going too much self-centered pieces. Okay? It's because nobody really cares. Completely serious. Nobody cares. They want to know how you accomplish things you did in a way that makes sense to them. That's it. They want to know that. Um, I'll tell a real quick story and then we're gonna to jump to a couple of those things. The very first time, uh, right when I started consulting, January 2015, I had an opportunity to pitch a conference presenter, was a small CS conference on uh, being a speaker. I wanted to get my name out, I, wanted to, I was starting consulting, I was like, oh, this would be great, I'd love to speak. And I, I had a chat with him and I, he said, oh, cool, what uh, kind of topics, what, what can you present on? And I literally word vomited all over him for about five minutes and I had no clue what I was doing. I just said, blah, blah, blah. I built this and then we did NPS and I did it an onboarding and I did a QBR and I did a renewal and I did, like all the little tactical stuff. And like basically the look on his face was, I have no clue what what you even just said. And I said, I pulled myself up and I said, hold on. Um, you know what? Let me give this a little bit more thought and I'll come back to you in a couple of weeks. So I went and spent a little bit of time with a marketing mentor of mine Fantastic guy. And half a day. And we came up with the four piece. Many of you probably know this. It was the foundational pieces of my consulting for the first four years or so. People, purpose, process, and platform. That's it. The entire world of customer success and everything that I did, every piece of work I did with my customers revolved around one of those areas. And if I layered that framework on top of their problems, they immediately had an instant level of clarity. They're like, oh, I've got a people problem or, oh, I've got a process problem. I don't have a customer success as a whole problem. I just have problems in these areas. So that level of visibility is what you can do. So as you go through that exercise um, next month, think about that big picture, um, Emily, and I look forward to hearing about how it goes. Thank you. All right. Um, So I'm just dropping down at the end of this piece is um, Lilith. You said, how do I know I'm investing in the right skill set? Should I invest more in understanding technical stuff or should I be more empathetic? Would you mind coming off mute and sharing just a little bit of context uh, with us, Lilith?
3: Hello yeah so yeah, for me, um, I started uh, becoming a manager um six months ago, right before the lockdown uh, really awesome, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and started leading remote teams, and I had no leadership skill before so non no leadership experience, sorry
0: understand yeah
3: um so now I mean, I have been reading books, listening to podcasts coming here trying to figure out how to do this without doing it just by myself, um, by hearing job. and listening to advice. But, yep. and we do have 360 degree feedback sessions and my team was pretty good. The only feedback I got was, when you're writing on Slack, please give us more context.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: But that's not a lot to go on because yeah. I have been now writing a lot more context on Slack messages. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering, what, where should I invest so I get my most growth? What yep. is it that m- would make me get my team to the next level? Yes. So you understand often, my problem? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yes. And, and being in your seat, first time leader, as well as in a global pandemic, there's nothing like, you know, being thrown into the fire and, and you
3: know, in the event industry.
0: Right. Oh, geez. Now, now you just, now you, <laughs> that's at a whole other level. Okay. So you're basically in the most challenging position anybody on this call could possibly be in. Uh, fair. All right. So I feel for you, number one. Uh, number two, the, the, in the grand scheme, going transitioning from an individual contributor to a leader is one of the single biggest challenges anybody will ever face in their professional world. Uh, I see a lot of heads nodding, so I'm glad I I have the the support of everybody on this, right? And the fundamental difference, the biggest, single most important thing, it sounds like you're making the shift and have already, is that you have to shift from a mindset perspective. When you're an individual contributor, everything was about your performance. You were in complete control. You could control if you outperformed or underperformed or whatever, it was up to you. But when you're leading a team, now it's all about their performance, And your job, if I were to boil down the leader into like a sentence, the single most important thing a leader has to do is do everything possible to ensure that his or her team are successful. So as you look at your team today, and as you look at the challenges that they face, you know, what I would advise is focus on those challenges that they face. Understand them at a very deep granular level so that you can ultimately help support them. Maybe that's in work that you can do with them. Maybe it's in other things within the company that be changed um, as a result to support them being successful. Because the most important thing is you want to build trust with your team by them knowing that you're going to bat and helping them solve their problems, right? If you do nothing else, just help eliminate problems from their stack, then that's, where it's all, that's what it's all about, right? And this leadership is a long-term game. You got time which is great. You can do everything in a remote session, in a remote uh, team, just as you would in a normal team. It just takes more work. So you're actually going the hard way first. By the time the world goes around, if we get back into offices, you're gonna be set up because you're gonna be in a completely different perspective. So the other two pieces um, I would say is all that is covered in the leading yourself um, piece in the book and then in the leading others, setting expectations and driving accountability. If for the next six to twelve months, if you did nothing but get that mindset right, set expectations, drive accountability, you'd be in great shape and continue to enjoy the revelations that come as a result of being a leader.
3: Cool. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. Um, all right. Is it uh, is it Tanuj? Can I can you come off of mute and uh, and yeah. share Hi. with me how to properly pronounce your name? Yeah, yeah you were right. It is Tanuj. Oh, right on. Okay, cool. Um, tell me, give me a little bit of context here. I just skimmed your, your piece, but bring it to life for me. Okay, so, so uh, since, since I came into leadership,
4: so I, I lead a product team and there is a yep. team, uh, so product, like a product manager, product leader, but not as a technical guy. So, so there is a person who from data science works with both the teams, right? The product team and the technical team as well. Uh, yep. So like the way you said that, I set expectations right with him and he has been working really well with that, but it's too straightforward, the guy. So the technical team, the other, other leaders don't actually like him that much, but he's performing really well. So, I, okay. uh, so so that has been a problem for the last six months from that guy that I, I try to convince people that he, he, he's really nice. The, the work that we hired him for is he does, does it pretty well. So there might be some things that he, 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 he lacks, maybe like uh, he's too straightforward. So that is something mm-hmm. I'm not able to uh, like convince other people uh, that uh, he, he's a great asset. We should not lose him.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Interesting, and what is your relationship with him specifically? You just, he's just another member of another team or is he part of your team? Uh,
4: so like I, if, if you are uh, working as a product guy, right? So you'll have to get yep. involved with data science, UX, tech team, everyone, right? So, yep. so, he, so I have a relationship like him that I tell him the problem statement and he'll fix it for me. So the relationship okay. is really good there, yeah.
0: Okay, got it, good. So um, the, when it comes to other leaders and other leaders, opinions of other leaders, there's a million different ways it could go right? And, and the underlying thing to focus on here, which I think you're already doing a good job of, is in the relationships that you have which e- with each of those other leaders. So the individual who's in question here, having a strong relationship with that person, meaning beyond just I give you a problem and you solve it, um, understand building a personal relationship, a professional relationship, going deeper on that side, just as if we were doing that with a customer, or just as if we wanted to understand how somebody else functions. Now, the same thing can be done with the other team members who are struggling with that person. Because if you understand the things that are important to them, then you can have a better chance of communicating the value of that person to those people who are a little bit concerned or don't know exactly how to, um, how to perceive the value of that individual. So all of this is to say that your opinion, in a lot of cases, doesn't really matter, right? What matters is your opinion shared in the way that someone else, the recipient, is actually going to receive. Like that's what you got to understand and so if you understand that somebody views the world in a certain way then you can communicate your message in a way that aligns with them and you'll have a much better chance of getting your message across and influencing their opinion as a result of lining up with them instead of just telling them exactly here's what i think this is this is why i think this person is valuable i got it i got it the relationships and then understand where they're coming from and you can evolve and get there all right uh sarah sandberg would you come from mute, uh, please and share your question
5: Yes, I've got one for you. First, thanks for awesome. doing this. It's, always love your energy and it's very, very valuable. So Thank what you. I've got for you, I've worked at a company for a long time and was there in the early stages when it was very much risk-taking, everyone's doing things they've never done before, lots of experimentation, you know, wins and, and failures. Yep. Now one of the new challenges that's emerging as a leader is as the company has really grown exponentially, I've noticed the tolerance for taking risks has greatly diminished. And Mm -hmm. what that has meant specifically is now um, the leadership is much more interested in bringing in people from the outside that have, you know, fill in the blank done it a million times. So like we want someone who's run a global customer success team. We want someone who's, you know, had $20 million a year in customer expansions. And so they've really moved away from, or there's more pigeonholing people into like, well, this is what you've done and you've done it well. But as we do new things, we want new people instead of giving those opportunities. And I would love your perspective on how to combat that philosophy.
0: Yeah, uh, great, great one. And comment, has anybody else ever experienced that where the company grows and the uh, perspective and the leadership and the opinion of who is going to fill the roles kind of changes over time? I certainly have as well. Um, When you were in the early stage, was that early stage of the company as a whole, like literally just starting out? Okay. And and now, uh, you know, now you're much greater. Okay, cool. So a couple of things. Number one, be aware that it is a natural evolution of the business that is going to happen in every single company, period, right? Even the Googles of the world, people still hate it because it's not the original, uh, you know, kind of um, go against the grain Google that it was back then. They got 300,000 employees. They can't do things the same way, right? So there is a natural evolution that is going to happen. Everybody, every leader on this call, everybody in every company, there is a place where you feel that you can contribute at the highest level and that you enjoy the environment the most. That is not always the same from the earliest stage to the later stage. Some people might be okay adapting to that and changing and going from a little bit more chaos and risk taking to much more structure and repeatability and all those pieces. But know that it's a fundamental shift in the business. And if you're not comfortable in that place, if you're so frustrated to the point where you're like, I just wish we were back like we were, know that it's never gonna go back to that point. And if that's really a cause of concern and really causes you a lot of frustration and angst that you feel like you're constantly hitting your head against the wall, might be time to look for a different opportunity with a company who's back in the stage that you really love because that gives you more energy than anything. So if you bring that energy into this situation, the reality is the culture of the company has to evolve and has to change and it is not going to go back to the way it was, would be my opinion. If that's a problem, time to start looking elsewhere. If you love it and and want the more structure and want to, you know, are totally on board, then by all means, buy in and go 110%, but recognize that you got to kind of leave that other piece behind and accept that that was what was important at that point in time. And now there's a different set of context, which is we're a 10, 20, $50 million company, and we have to operate in a different way, right? So it's up to you to make a decision on where you feel that you can contribute at the highest level, number one, where you bring the most energy, because frankly, you just love to do that work, right? Because, at the early stage, it's fundamentally different than the later stage. How's that sound, Sarah? Yeah, good. Where 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 do you land on, on that? Like, well, is it something that... No,
5: I, I think, um you know, for me, it's that I do really enjoy... It's more like there's so much opportunity at the company, and it's not that I, my, myself, and the other leaders aren't interested in those opportunities. We very much are, but the owners of the company are more like, well, we're interested in bringing in new people to do those things versus giving those of us opportunities to, you know, learn how to do something like that. So that, that's more what it is. I, I completely understand because I've been at different stages um, and this is a stage I like. It's just trying to break into, it's not always the best thing to bring in someone from the outside. Okay. There can be a lot of benefits of giving the people in the inside the opportunity, but trying to help them understand why that would be a benefit I think is where the struggle is.
0: So the, the, the piece there, trying to help them understand the benefit, um, the experimentation that you could run is in around something that has been expressed as we need somebody outside to come in to do this function or this thing. If there is a piece of that that you know that you could nail or that you and a colleague could also address, then, you know, there's an opportunity to present that as a proposal to do it in the meantime while it takes time to find the person. Right, because that's a three, six, nine month endeavor, depending on how much of a unicorn they're really looking for. So if there is an, a, an, an initiative or a process or a project, you know, upselling customers, identifying renewals, risks, whatever it is, just do it. Right, do it and bring and tell that case, look, like I'm, I'm going to prove that I can do this first right and instead of waiting for the buy-in and you know depending on how big it is you might need buy-in first but i'd like to experiment with this there's a very low risk and all the while there's going to take you time to find the person to come in and do this anyway so if it works cool then we're one step further ahead than where we are so you can it's up to you to to choose what would be the highest value activity that you could drive that would also demonstrate that you have the potential potential to do that is most times leaders in those uh, company leaders in those situations are a little bit oblivious to they put you in a box they said you did this that was great However, now we're looking for this, so they automatically kind of exclude that. But if you break down that wall by saying, no, here's what I did. Here's the results of this. Then that might change the perspective and you might have an opening to make the case for why you should be in that role and not somebody else. Like Sound it. good? Yes, thank you. Love it. You're welcome. All right. Um, Do Vipool. How do you drive accountability across teams as a leader, as the KPI of teams are different. Aligning people to a single goal is challenging. Would you mind coming off mute and sharing just a little bit of context? Good to see you. Yeah,
1: um, good to see you too, Niels. So uh, Niels, a lot of times what we see is, um, you know, there are uh, custom requests which come in from the customers. The product team will always tell that Uh, you know, this is right now not a priority, but from a customer success perspective, it's a priority for us. Same with the delivery team or with the business analytics team, right? Because the KPIs for all these teams are different. So trying to, as a leader, uh, it's always challenging to get everybody on the same page and align them to the same goal and tell them that we are working for the same cause because everybody has different KPIs. So everybody starts prioritizing and deprioritizing. So it becomes a big challenge. That is what my question was all about.
0: Yeah, no, I that's, think that's, a lot of
1: us would be facing similar graduated. situations
0: at the organization. Uh, 100%, right? Every, every department has a different, um, different KPIs and essentially are working towards different goals, and we can't assume that everybody's going to want to do what we want to do, even though we're the voice of the customer, right? might be the hardest thing to swallow at various times. Um, so in these cases, uh, first thing, number one, is to truly understand what the KPIs of the other teams are. Okay, so again, back to the communication piece, if you're making a request, That is purely you focused. You say, I need this done because this customer said it. We think that carries a lot of weight, but the reality is it doesn't because other teams have other KPIs. So if you are able to understand what the products team's KPIs really are, and maybe there's a way to um, position your request to align with their KPIs. If we solve this um, X, whatever, do this thing for this customer, this would actually drive the metric that you are responsible for. Whatever that is. Right. So it's asking and making the request in the context of what that other person already wants. So if you understand that, that is one, one key piece that you could look at from a different perspective, perhaps have a different outcome because ultimately the, you're just like in your CS seat with your customers. You're trying to make that other person successful. And if you look at it through that, through their lens, that might help. The other piece is that um, at the at the you know company leadership level it is going to vary, right? The alignment of customer-related KPIs across the board, how in tune every executive leader is with our most important renewal and retention rates, it's going to vary. And you have to understand the environment that you operate within. So as much as I've done in the past, and admittedly have, um, we have to acknowledge that the way we view how important our customers are is not how everybody else views them right? There is a culture aspect. Some companies have a sales first culture. No matter what you do, it's not going to change. It's really hard to believe and understand, but it's not going to change. So what to do instead is instead of banging your head against the wall saying, I wish they just understood the, the recurring nature of our business and why don't they understand this? We say, okay, if the reality is I operate in a sales focused world, how can I actually adapt to that and get what I want done knowing that that's the reality instead of being frustrated and trying to change it? So all about understanding the context of everybody else who you're going to be working with and communicating with and understand where they're coming from and what the reality of the environment is. And take that and then look at it as, okay, how could I get this done if I knew that was the case? Okay. How's that sound, Vipul? Yeah,
1: uh, probably, uh, you know, aligning the... Understanding more on the other team's KPI is something that, uh, you know, I can definitely work on. But, you know, as it's more sales driven culture, it's difficult to kind of, uh, uh, you know, get everybody aligned in the same, uh, on the same page. But I'll try the KPI part a bit. Awesome. Thanks. Love man. it.
0: You're welcome. All right. um, There are some more comments in here. We won't have time to get to everybody's. I will get a download of this and I'll try to hit you back. Um, There's somebody who asked uh, about shipping to the UK. Yes, 100%. I will ship to the UK. There is a shipping fee. So when you go to the 30dayleadership.com forward slash playbook. It will direct you to the international page and I will ship it to you, uh, no problem. And I want to just thank you all for taking the time out of your day to spend it with me, talk about this incredibly important topic of leadership. As I said before, the single most important thing in your career is your leadership skills, your ability to lead yourself, your ability to lead others, your ability to lead with communication and your ability to lead with metrics will set you apart from everybody else. And that's my goal in writing this book was to share these incredible things that I've learned a lot of school of hard knocks and a lot of education, taking the best of the best from so many different disciplines, putting it into one place and creating a playbook that you can consume in an easy fashion and apply it right away right? If you have any hesitation about uh, whether well, maybe this book isn't right for me or whatnot, check out the reviews on Amazon. There's over 25 star reviews, everybody saying how impactful it is and how easily applicable all the sessions are, all the segments are. So if you read one chapter a day for 30 days, I guarantee 100% you will know more about leadership than virtually anybody else that you will ever come across. Because like I said before, many people, Kind of assume that oh yeah I've kind of figured this out and I can figure this out on my own but they don't put the structure and rigor um, and behind it and exhaust those levels of revelation that we talked about before so I humbly thank you and I wish you all a wonderful rest of the day and we'll end it here thank you so much take care and I'll see you soon hey guys thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the gain grow retain podcast if you liked what you heard please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe we really appreciate it talk to you soon.